This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. For a relatively short career, Alan Yang has managed to rack up some pretty major credits. Alan has written, directed, produced, and sometimes starred in hit shows including Parks and Rec, The Good Place, Little America, and Master of None. All that experience has been building up to his biggest project to date, directing his first feature film, Tiger Tail. For Alan, Tiger Tail is that project. You know, that one project you chip away at over years and years in between other projects, that one project that practically becomes an obsession. Tiger Tail is a movie that's loosely based on Alan's life and Taiwanese roots, so the pressure to get it right on top of everything else was pretty high. In our conversation, Alan details his come-up, including an important rejection from Jay Leno, and he explains how shooting the opening shot of Tiger Tail was pretty much a behind-the-scenes movie in itself. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I would love if you could just take me back to the moment where that switch went off for you, that screenwriting and directing might be your calling. What was the spark that really started the career that you're in now? Well, you have to go back pretty far because uh, it, it's probably, it's, it's probably uh, man, it's a long time ago. But I will say it doesn't go so far back as to lapse into my childhood because when I was a kid, I had no inkling that this was a job. You know, no one in the area I grew up in went into entertainment. Um, you know, no one in my family had any idea this was a job. I always loved film and television and comedy, but uh, I just didn't know that this existed as a possibility. So um, a lot of things changed when I went to college. Um, I majored in biology, which is completely different from what I do now. Um, and so I didn't really find my, my passion there. And then I started doing a couple things in college. I, I started playing in a punk rock band. Um, I, I sang and I played bass and we toured around and, and did that kind of stuff. And then I started writing for a comedy magazine. And those two things kind of showed me that what I really liked was, was being creative and coming up with stuff on my own and, and, and uh, hanging out with people who were smart and funny and had this interesting point of view. And, and gradually it became sort of possible to me that I could pursue this as a job, which really blew my mind. So I must have been, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old when it started first seeming possible. And that was really, um, that was really the genesis of all of it. Nice. And I love how you just say college. You went to Harvard. Let's just say it. Like, it's, <laughs> lean, into, lean into that, man. It's awesome. Yeah, man. Crazy place. Crazy place. <laughs> you sure. wrote, I wrote, yeah, you wrote for the Harvard Lampoon. So come on now. So, you know, in that, I mean, like, how would you say, you know, writing for such a heralded uh, publication really shaped how you approach comedy, how you approach writing? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what the Lampoon was when I got there. You know, I, I went to a big public school in, in California and you know, not a lot of people from my school uh, went to went to Harvard or schools like that. So um, I was kind of in the dark. And, uh, and then suddenly I was rubbing elbows with a lot of kids who went to private schools and whose parents had gone and knew what the lampoon was. And all I knew was like, I like the Simpsons. I like Seinfeld. Um, I like Saturday Night Live. And a lot of people who wrote for this wrote for those shows. So I got the magazine. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. It seems interesting. I'm funny. Whatever. I can make it. And uh, I didn't make it immediately. I definitely got rejected a few times. Um, but when I finally did make it, uh, it was it was a revelation because 
Um, it was being able to spend time with people who were funny and nerdy and interesting in the right way and in a way that really excited me. And I could hang in, hang out in the Lampoon building all day and just meet so many cool people and so many people who um, were watching interesting stuff and reading interesting stuff and, and really connected on that level. So that became really my, 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 my social life and it really became a, a huge influence. And what the Lampoon really helps you do, I think, is um, it helps you... Uh, feel confident in your own in your own point of view and your own voice because you're not really trying to write for a mass audience you're not trying to sort of um fill a stadium with your with your pieces of comedy you're trying to write what you think is funny and i think it's important to sort of figure that out on your own first and, and that's a really sort of protected environment you're really trying to make the other 15 20 people uh, on lampoon laugh and so that that was a really a cool education and an ability to look down the road if you're making a tv show you better be making more than 15 people laugh but it's nice to start out with that luxury right it's nice to start out with the the, the sort of idea that yeah you're writing for other funny people who who have, have, have you know ingested a lot of comedy on their own and, and and kind of are on the same wavelength so yeah that was that was a, a great environment to start out in. it was the closest thing to a writer's room i think you could get in college nice i love that and so you know what was that initial hustle like for you like and once you once you finished once you finished college and you were really you know committed to making a career in writing work for you what was that initial hustle in getting your writing career off the ground what was that like when i first graduated from school i thought i was doing well because um i i didn't have an agent yet but i got someone who was willing to send my late night packets uh, out to, to to various places under the caveat that if i got a job he would get some of my money so uh i i submitted uh he submitted me to to the tonight show which at the time was hosted by jay leno and so uh i was really excited i had this meeting and and, and i went in there and jay came into the meeting and hung out and um, it went pretty well, you know, as well as those meetings can go. And and at the end of the meeting, he said, uh, he said, yeah, I'm trying to add some young blood. You know, I have, I've had the same writing staff for a while. Like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 20. And he's like, uh, I can't hire you. I can't hire a 20 year old. My youngest writer is 53 or something like that. And uh, he said, come back, you know, go get another job and come back in five years. I'll hire you. And I walked out foolishly feeling great. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I called my fake agent and said, uh, yeah, he's not going to hire me, but he said, like, he would in five years, whatever, whatever. And he's like, and the agent's basically like, so you didn't get the job. I was like, yeah, but it sounds like, you know, it's go, you know I'll get other meetings. And uh, I didn't get another meeting for a whole year. <laughs> I mean, I forget about jobs. Like, it not, even, not that I didn't get a job. I didn't get a meeting for another year. Um, and so uh, it's just kind of an example of how it's feast or famine. And, you know, you got to land in the right opportunity. You got to sort of pick your pick your right spot and, and and a lot of this is is chance as well as your hard work and, and whatever talent you may have uh, that there's a lot of chance involved as well absolutely and so you know what would you say I guess like what did you really learn from from being rejected so often because I mean that that's something that a lot of creators face obviously and just in life in general but I guess what would you say was the biggest learning lesson you got from being rejected so many times and honestly sticking with it because a lot of people just be rejected once and then be like, okay, this isn't for me. Like, you know, the best of the best have rejected me. So therefore I have no career. So what did you learn from all that rejection? I think the interesting lesson from both rejection and success, and, and this is, it sounds crazy to say, but your reward either way is getting to do it the next day, you know? So it really like all you can do is look, now I'm able to make a living from writing, producing, directing. 
my reward is that I get to keep doing it. So if you're going to, if you want to keep doing it, you should do it even when you're getting rejected and you should do it regardless of what the results are. And you should sort of, well, not regardless, but ideally you're getting results at some point. But you know, what I mean to say is whether or not the thing you do is, is, is the biggest success in the world or, 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 or worthless, you should really want to do it. The desire for you to do it every day should be there. And, and you should only be in this line of work if you have that much passion, if you're willing to persevere, if you're willing to wade through the mounds of bad stuff that you'll generate to get to the good stuff. It really is. Um, it's, it, I know it's a total cliche, but it's not the destination it's the journey it's what the process is and if you enjoy that and um look no one actually enjoys writing because it's very very difficult <laughs> work in some ways because you it's not physically arduous but it's annoying it's annoying as hell to do so um but but you know what i mean you should you should want to wake up and do it every day because if you don't have that drive then just just uh, i i would do something else you know that because that's what you'll end up doing whether you're successful or not Right. And so, you know, obviously you gained a lot of experience writing for really amazing and high profile TV shows like Parks and Rec, like The Good Place. And then, you know, came Master of None, of course, which, you know, you created along as Ease and Sorry. And so at that time, what was it like working within the context of someone else's vision versus working in your, your, own, in your own vision, really? Uh, well, I was really lucky, you know, you mentioned Parks and Rec and, and I came up through that show and, and what was so great about that show is obviously Mike Schur, uh, the showrunner of that show had his vision of the show, but he was very collaborative. And I think we brought that along with us to Master of None when Aziz and I created that show. Um, we kind of just really worked together on it and 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 kind of bounced ideas off each other and, and, and it really felt like doing it with a creative partner who, who we really believe and really trust. And 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 really can count on to work as hard as you are because because that's one of the things we i think respected about each other was that we're both insane in terms of how much we want to work on something to make it the best it can be um so you know i think when you're on a staff i think you are sort of there to 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 serve the vision of the showrunner and and help them out and and do whatever you can to um come up with ideas that fit within that tone that fit within the world of the show and then when you get to create your own thing, that's when you're liberated a little bit and it's your own point of view and it's your own vision. And, and, and you know, Mike was actually uh, one of the producers on Master of None early on and he saw very quickly that we knew what we wanted to do. And to his credit, he's like, you guys, this is your show. You know, you take the ball and run with it. And, and this isn't a show that I, I want to make or can make. It's, it's just a different kind of thing. And so um, that was really cool. And, and we, we ended up doing the same thing. You know, now I'm producing Little America. You know, I don't show run that show day to day, but um, you know, Lee and Sean and Kamal and Emily and all the people working so hard on that show are, are doing a great job. Nice. So in your opinion, what is the key to effective collaboration? Uh, that's a great question. I think I think trust is one of the things that that, that I was talking about. And um, it, it's just I feel so lucky, uh, you know, working with people like Aziz or people like Matt Hubbard, who created the show forever with me. Um, I'm in awe. And, and I, I like to here's here's the best. Here's the best answer I have pick people who are insanely talented, <laughs> pick people who are really easy, <laughs> pick people you really trust and respect. And, and, and honestly, that's the thing in terms of whether you're hiring or choosing a collaborator, um, you have to uh, have, have that respect for the other person's abilities and their, 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 their sort of commitment to whatever you're working on. And 
I feel like, you know, when Hubbard sends me something or when Aziz sends me something, I'm so excited to look at it because I know how brilliant they are and I know how much work they're putting into it. And, um, you know, even within the past few weeks, you know, I'm collaborating with some people who are really talented and I just get excited to look at it. And I hope they feel the same way about me because I'm going to put 100% into it. And um, then there's a back and forth that, that really feels like you're equals and it feels like you're on the same footing. And then it becomes a, a sort of additive process. And that's really, really something I cherish, you know, and, and, and the, the two shows that I've created, I've created with other people. And there's a reason I've done that because um, I really enjoy it. And it keeps you sane because running a TV show is an incredibly time intensive job that can drive many people insane. So um, I felt that re that's really helped me keep grounded and stay, uh, stay, stay afloat. Nice. And, you know, one thing I really love about your work is that you have a tendency to really challenge the audience. And I'm thinking about, you know, Master of None episodes like, you know, New York, I Love You, which is basically vignettes that have nothing to do with the main characters. Or you mentioned Forever, like your show with Amazon, uh, that is just curveball after curveball. And I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but <laughs> it, every episode you're like, what is happening right now? So <laughs> how do you how do you do that how do you stray from what's expected what's what's what someone may think is like a formula for like a specific type of show without it feeling like a cheap gimmick really i think you put a priority on it and you make it a mission to say i want to make something that feels fresh that feels original that feels like something i've never seen before and if you can do that and pull it off in a way that also feels elemental and sort of compelling and entertaining and propulsive, then you're really onto something and, and emotionally rich at the same time, because that's always at the heart of everything I work on. I try to make it very emotionally resonant as well. And so, you know, you should be surprising yourself. You should be challenging yourself. And I think it's setting a standard and saying, just doing, playing within the bounds of what everything you've seen before has done you can get somewhere with that, but I feel like it's most exciting when you can show people something new and really surprise them and, 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 and do an episode, uh, you know, where, where 40% of it is silent or an episode that takes place over the course of 60 years or, you know, and, 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 and this is all in the past, you know, few years, I think television is evolving and audiences are becoming more sophisticated. And so um, I really feel like that has been something I've put a priority on. And, 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 you know, even with the movie with Tiger Tail, I don't think anyone expected me to make an art house inflected film majority in Mandarin Taiwanese and, and, and a shot in Taiwan and, and, and have it be a kind of a complete diversion from a lot of the stuff that I've done before. So I think if you're going into something and you're not a little bit scared, uh, it's possible you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, speaking of Tiger Tail, which is, you know, such a fantastic film, just so, so beautifully, visually speaking, and just the story itself. And, you know, it, this, of course, marks your uh, directorial debut, your feature film directorial debut. And, you know, it's, it seems like, and from what I've read, a very deeply personal story for you. So what, what to you made this story worth telling? Because we always mine our personal lives for stories and, you know, trying to pull things out. So... For you, I would love to hear a little bit about w how this began for you and like why why this story for your feature film debut. Absolutely, uh, you know, over time as I've worked on more and more things and, and sort of put my energies into different projects, um, I always kept coming back to the fact that what was personal to me almost always came out the best and always came out with the most emotional truth and became the most moving and became 
ultimately the most relatable, even though it was the most specific. So, um, you know, I was kind of casting about looking for ideas and I kept coming back to the story of this Taiwanese American family, you know, loosely inspired by my own family. And so I started writing about all of these different characters and their points of view and their, their perspectives in the world. And then, you know, I ultimately came to the heart of the story for, for me, which was this journey from Taiwan to America of this, this young immigrant who's full of passion, full of life, full of love and how life wears him down. And it's about his relationships with the four most important women in his life. It's his mother, the woman he's in love with, the woman he marries, and then his daughter. And, um, you know, there was something so beautifully specific about it. And obviously, you know, there are elements of my father's story in it, um, but there were also elements that seemed so relatable and universal, you know, whether it's a lost love or the passion of your youth or, the tincture of regret you feel as an older person looking back on your past and looking back at choices you wish you hadn't made. And finally, the feeling of, uh, you know, which is very specifically Asian American, but I think also relevant to many people, which is um, being taught that you're stronger if you're stoic, you're stronger if you're brave, and you're stronger if you're concealing your emotions. Uh, and, and the feeling of growing past that and realizing that being honest and being vulnerable and telling the people you care about that you love them is not a sign of weakness, um, it's a sign of strength. And so um, all of those things kind of ultimately mixed into this stew that became the broth for the movie, uh, to use, a, to use a, a cooking metaphor, but um, all of that took, took time. It took time in the pot. And, and, and uh, um, you know, obviously the movie's been a long, a long path, but uh, I'm, I'm really, really happy with how it turned out. Nice. And you mentioned that, you know, for you, it, those personal stories seem to seem to you to be like your, 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 your biggest successes or the most fulfilling, you know, projects that you work on. So what is your process for, for tapping into that? Because, it, you know, in my mind, it seems like you're taking the outline of an experience and then coloring it in, you know, with, because obviously you're not making like a documentary about your life. You're not, you know, making something that's just like, by like by the book exactly how it happened like you're just sort of taking an outline and, and coloring it in with you know cinematic language and things like that so what I guess like what was your process for Tiger Tail specifically what you wanted to keep what you wanted to add like what how did you how did you build on this personal story to make it what it is now it's very similar to kind of what you just described which is that you want to take those searing moments, the moments that you know you felt the strongest and the moments you identify with, or in this case, the moments of inflection in my father's life where big decisions had to be made and, and what he was feeling at the time. And then you want to leave space for your own imagination and you want to leave space for there to be these sort of operatic moments that are really, really sort of crucial in the story, but that you can you can leave room for invention because again, you're not making a documentary. Like you said, you're not doing word for word what happened because that's not a story in most cases. You know, unless you have an incredibly uh, fortunate circumstance, your life is not a movie and it probably would be pretty boring if you just write down exactly uh, what happened. And no, no offense to Carly Ovid Kanauskart and his, 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 his series of books that are just his life. But that aside, um, you know, for me, you got to fill it in with some, some imagination. And so, it's this sort of hybrid of these really, really identifiable, powerful moments that inspire you and then how to craft that into a narrative and how to forge characters that aren't necessarily one-to-one -one with the people in your life, although sometimes that works. Um, I find that combining characters or adding on characteristics or you know, picking and choosing and really 
you're the arbiter of, of, of what goes into the movie and what feels natural to you and what feels human to you and what feels real to you. And ironically, it's not always the real stuff. Sometimes, you know, your imagination fills in those blanks in a more quote unquote realistic or grounded way. So um, take the moments I think that are the most meaningful to you, the, the ones that moved you and, and start with those as a foundation. And I think fill in around that and, and, and really build that world out. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I recently, in another podcast interview, um, talked to the singer Jesse Reyes, and she was mentioning that one of the hardest things that she's had to do or learn to do is edit herself. You know, it's really because, you know, you don't want to, it's your baby, you work on this thing and you don't want to touch it. And I was reading somewhere that, you know, the, the script for Tiger Tail was like, what, 250 pages, like John Cho is a character in it and he's not in the film. So, so like, what yeah. was that evolution? Like, talk to me a bit, a, bit, a bit about like how this project changed and really some of those decisions that you made to really, to really hone in on what it is that you were trying to say. Yeah, it's 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 not always a linear path, you know. It's 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 not always a path from A to B creatively, you know. You talk to anyone who's made a movie or written a book or anything like that, uh, it's it's a punctuated equilibrium, you know. There's sort of bursts of your big ideas and then you're honing, and then your big ideas and you're honing, and and so yeah, I mean, the original script was was sprawling, and it was all of these different characters. Each character had a point of view chapter, and it was really really massive and that wasn't the right thing for the movie for sure you know so those early drafts i winnowed down winnowed down winnowed down and narrowed it down to this father and daughter story and that was really the heart of it and then further down the line the movie keeps telling you what it wants to be so we did a lot of shooting and and john by the way i want to commend for the amazing work he did in the movie uh, you know that was one of the most heartbreaking moments when um you know his character isn't in the final cut but he did extraordinary work and We'd love to work together again. I, I I called him. He's seen the movie and he's a huge supporter of it. And he's released you know, the record, that man. <laughs> I know, and he and he and he's and he's spreading the word around, which I really appreciate. But we had such an incredible experience on the movie. You know, we're still talking, and and um. So so at that point, you re, you really figure out, you know, hey, the heart of this story is this man's journey and his emotional response to everything that's happened to him, all the pain he's gone through, all the isolation, all the loneliness and how he responds to that. And ultimately, I think, um, even though it's not uh, everyone uh, is hugging and a happy, 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 happy ending, um, I think there are notes of optimism and there are notes of hope and, and it's bittersweet in a way that I really li like in the, in the end. It's an almost hug, you know, hand on shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Close enough. Like. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, an Asian hug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, I mean, for you stepping into, because obviously, you know, you've directed before, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily new territory, but not necessarily something uh, with the scope of a feature film. So was there a learning curve for you at all? Uh, yeah, I think there's some differences, right? And, and one of the things I love about television that I was kind of talking about earlier was it's very sort of collaborative. And of course, making a film is collaborative as well. But on those sort of shows, I had a co-creator who was a great person to bounce ideas off of. And in this case, it's kind of just you, right? So I was a writer, director, and producer of this movie. And so if someone needed to know the length of the shorts of the extra 500 feet in the background, like I was approving all that stuff. So, <laughs> so it is a lot, but I will say also, um, what I really enjoyed about it uh, was that there was a little bit more time. So in television, it's a really uh, aggressive schedule a lot of the time because you're trying to do a lot with a little. And, 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 
you're often you know, directing episode six, rewriting episode eight, doing notes on episode five, getting studio notes on episode three and two, you're cutting episode four. It's, 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 it's hellacious. It can really be a, a cauldron. And in this case, you know, I, I was stunned to be able to shoot and just shoot and not go home and edit and not go home and do studio calls and not go home and rewrite the next script. I mean, I'd be rewriting obviously the, the script for the movie as we go, but it wasn't a whole other episode. Right. So um, it, it was a learning curve in the sense that um, it, it was a little bit of a different workflow and a little bit of a different process, but ultimately a lot of those lessons I learned while directing television and, and show running shows, they helped. And, and essentially, you know, I've told people if you're in TV, the showrunner is the boss. And if you're in film, then the director's the boss. And so ultimately as the boss, it's your job to have a vision, a strong, clear vision of what the film is, what your destination is, where you're going, what the goal is, hire the best people you can and communicate to them how you want them to get there. And so um, with that in mind, um, I feel like uh, there's a lot of commonalities. And, and by the way, a lot of the same people who worked with me on, on some of my shows came over to Tiger Tail and worked on the movie as well. So that was really a, a blessing as well. Nice. And so, you know, taking all that into consideration, like you know, having, having room to breathe, so to speak, like not, not rushing into like the next episode if you're working in TV and, you know, learning to win it, like whittle down, like what started off as a massive script and just all of these things. I mean, how would you say directing a project at this scale, directing something like Tiger Tail has shaped you as a storyteller? Uh, it's been really probably the most rewarding experience of my life creatively because it was so personal and because like you said, you're putting everything you have into it. And it's spanning a length of time. You know, we, 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 we shot all over the world. We shot in New York. We shot in Taiwan. We edited in New York. We edited a little bit in L.A. You know, I spent months with my editor, Daniel Hayworth, unfortunately, a guy I love hanging out with because <laughs> otherwise uh, we would have killed each other. Um, but and, and, and it's really just this amazing trip you're taking. And, and, and again, I don't want to make it sound like I, I made the movie on my own because that's far from the, from the case. There's so many talented people who worked on it um, from, from production designer to, 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 to DP, to editor, to producer. You know, there's so many people along the way who are just adding so much creatively and really helping you. So um, it, it, I, I loved the luxury. I'll, I'll put it as the luxury of getting that time to really let the film breathe and, and get it to the best state possible, which I really feel like we did. Um, and I don't think that would have been possible on, on a much tighter schedule. So shout out to Netflix for letting us do that and, 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 and for letting us make the film in the way we wanted to. Nice. And so, you know, really, really, because obviously you're, you have so, you have so much farther to go in your career, but when you think back on your career so far, what would you say has been the most significant creative challenge that you've faced? Uh, I, I think every project is its own <laughs> challenge and, every and, project and, and, I, I, <laughs> and I think there's, I think there's a point, you, you know, I think there's a point relatively early on in almost everything where you're like, should I just quit this? Like, or should I just like, <laughs> is this like not possible? I mean, you want to talk about the crazy stuff we did on forever or, or, or trying to, trying to build Uganda in New Jersey and Syria and Montreal for little America or us literally shooting part of Taiwan we shot a restaurant in Taiwan and pretended it was New York like that's how crazy like production is going to be production is going to be the craziest thing ever I mean I'll tell you a quick story from Tiger Tail which is yeah. emblematic of how 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 crazy making a movie can be you know we flew in and 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 we scouted the rice fields it was a scouting mission you know we were looking for 
for a place to shoot the opening sequence of the movie. And, and I had always pictured these beautiful Taiwanese rice fields and we found a lot of places. And so finally we settled on somewhere and, and I was really excited. And I was like, okay, great, this is the place. And our location scout said, hey, just to let you know, these will be entirely yellow in a week. <laughs> it's like, well, I, wait, I don't want them to be yellow. I want them to be green. It's not, and he's like, they'll all be yellow all around the country. I was like, well, well great. So I think we have to shoot in the next week. And that was not, we were supposed to shoot months from then. So, so we scrambled and we went around, you know, we shot in 16 millimeter for the stuff in Taiwan. And we didn't have our cameras from America. So we went around Taiwan and went to documentary film houses, music video houses, got 16 millimeter cameras we hired a crew we got the actors and we ran down there we took the high-speed train and shot in the rice fields we just scrambled <laughs> and shot them but the story doesn't end there it, it, so months later we're shooting and uh we, we just saw some stuff in the factory and, and i was eating dinner and, and my line producer called and said uh hey uh, uh what are you doing i was like i'm eating he's like are you sitting down I was like oh this isn't gonna be good and he said hey just let you know uh, the footage in the rice fields is all unusable <laughs> Oh. And so, so we had done all this stuff, and and so my DP was 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 kind of uh, so nervous, and 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 you know it was all out of focus. So something was wrong with the lenses, and it was just incredibly sharp uh, footage of blades of grass, nothing beyond five feet. It was it was incredibly scary, and so. Um, I told my DP, I was like, you know, I, I just feel like I'm a relatively lucky person. I feel like I'm one of the luckier people in the world. I can't believe this happened. This has never happened on anything I've ever worked on. And he said, likewise, in his 20 year career. And so we started scrambling to reshoot. We're like, we'll reshoot, you know, we'll reshoot. We'll recast everybody. They're not available anymore. Like the new actors, it's, you know, it's a 60 foot crane, a Jeep, there's soldiers, there's little kids, all of it. So we're like, okay, we're out of weekends. We shoot on all the weekends now. We're going down. So we, we're going to reshoot everything. And so then they're like, a typhoon's coming. So <laughs> there's gonna be a typhoon coming. It's, and I'm telling you, this is all happening while we're shooting, right? We're shooting the movie, we're doing these 16 hour days. And so finally I get another call and it's late at night, we're shooting the Sugar Factory again. And my producer is like, hey, uh, the guys at Technicolor in New York say that uh, they think it's a scanning problem with the footage. They think they can fix it. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, get on this. So, so I, I called Daniel Hayworth. He's the editor on the movie. He was just flying to New York. He was just about to start editing. And I said, I'm so sorry to do this to you. Can you put on a pot of coffee and just edit the entire beginning of the movie to see what we have? He was like, I got you. You know, I, you know, we've been working together for a long time. I'll do it. So the next morning he sends me the footage. It's, it's now nighttime in, in Taiwan. And I watch it and I was like, hey, how much of the footage was usable? And he's like, oh, like 90, 95%. I was like, oh my God, this is a miracle. This is unbelievable. This is, I am the luckiest person in the world because all that footage was, 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 was magical. And so we, had, we kept the days, we kept that reshoot days. We found some of the same cast members and we strategically picked off the shots that we needed that were not in focus in the previous round. And we didn't get all the way there, but by noon, we had gotten a fair amount and it started pouring rain, the typhoon came in. So we, if we would never have been able to do the shoot. And so it would have been impossible, but we got just enough stuff and that sequence cut together beautifully. So, and, and my DP turned to me and looked and said, you are the luckiest person, man. Cause like, this is insane. Like we never would have been able to finish the movie. Like we wouldn't be able to shoot it, you know? So that's an example of, of, of the stress and the stressfulness of, 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 of being in charge and sort of uh, uh, just losing your losing your shit, man. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I feel like you know, in that in that position. I mean, like, what have you learned from from your you know all your directing experience? I mean, like, what are some lessons in creative leadership that you've learned? Because I do think that it's 
you know, you're working in this creative environment and even though it's, it may be your project, there's a lot of people who are still pouring a lot of themselves into it. And you know how sensitive creatives can be. So it's like, how, how have you, I guess like, what are some of those lessons in, in being a leader in a creative space? What have you learned in that capacity? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things I've learned is that people are looking to you. They're looking to you and they're looking at you. And so you have to set the example and, 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 you know, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, I don't give huge inspirational speeches. I'm not that kind of guy, but I try to lead by example. And in this case, you know, I, I happen to be the type of person um, who has the personality who, who, who doesn't get too high or too low. So in a situation like this, like that's the lowest you can be on a, on a, on a film production. When someone tells you that all of the shoot days are, are useless, that is a time when it probably is natural to yell and scream and blame someone and throw your phone and start firing people, frankly. Um, I chose not to do that. Um, I, I didn't think that would help the situation. I respected all the people I worked with. I knew it wasn't necessarily their fault. Um, and so uh, I kind of treated it with as much calm as I could. And I kind of said, okay, let's say the footage is not usable. What, how do we reshoot? How do we cross the next bridge? How do we fix this? I know it's going to entail a lot of work on everyone's behalf, but how do we move forward? And, and so I, I think, um, I think in that situation, it was good not to be too high or too low and sort of take the problem one step at a time and really address how to, how to move forward because you can't go Yelling's not going to make that footage good. You know, you, you know, screaming at people is not going to fix the problem. So um, I felt in that case, it, it was the right course of action to sort of be disappointed and definitely be, 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 be a little bit, uh, you know, contain that, but and, and allow yourself to feel that because it's real and, and it's very, very important to you. But at the same time, you know, project an air of, look, professionalism and knowing that you can solve the problem going forward. Nice. And, you know, what would you say, just to kind of sum up, I mean, like at this point in your career, how have you come to define creativity, this sort of nebulous concept of creativity? How have you come to define it for yourself? For me, it, it, it's creating something that, that is emotionally resonant uh, and for me and hopefully for other people. Um, something that feels new, I think is important to me as well. And when we talked about that, something that doesn't exist, that isn't a carbon copy and, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, sort of inspires other people to, to create new and, and different works of uh, works of art as well. And, and I think that's really important as well. And um, so it's basically, you know, can you connect with other people with your work and, and can you sort of motivate them and, and, and show them uh, new ways of looking at things? And so, um, you know, I, I've always said it's, it, you know, the goal of a film or a show is to, is to is to show other people how you see the world. And um, if you can do that with your work, then I think you're, you're really accomplishing something. Nice. And super quick question, like how, how are you on time? Uh, I'm okay right now. I think my, my, my next thing got canceled for, for or moved okay. a little bit. So. Cool. Yeah. So I just, I realized there's something else I want to ask you. So, you know, note sure. to my editor, cut this in order. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously, Tiger Tail is a story that is, you know, deeply rooted in Taiwan, which, you know, of course, is your background. So as a Taiwanese American, I mean, do you ever feel the burden of representation as a creator? Because, you know, you have like, do you, have, do you feel like you have to tell these, quote unquote, diverse stories or someone's going to call you out saying like, hey, you're, you're a person of color and you're not telling our story. Like, why is that? Like, do you ever feel that burden of representation? 
I feel lucky in the sense that I really want to make a movie like this. So I, I'm lucky in that sense, but I don't feel like people should feel pressured to, to do something they're not totally motivated to do. Like your heart needs to be into your work and, 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 you know, not everything I've done has had uh, Asian people in it. It's been a mix. And, and I think that's healthy, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I believe me, I'm going to feature a lot of Asian American and Asian performers in my work going forward, but it may not be exclusive. And I think that's fine. You know, uh, I respect kind of both points of view. You know, I've heard Jordan Peele say like, yeah, I want my movie to start black people. It's like, great. I, I totally support that. But if you wanted to make one movie with starring an Asian person, I'd also support that, you know? So, so, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like, um, I, I hate the idea that you can only do one thing and, and, and that you're pigeonholed. And, and we talked about that in terms of genre as well, but, uh, it's, I, I feel fortunate that, that I, I, I'm really, really motivated to tell this kind of story right now, but I reserve the right to tell different kinds of stories in the future. And I, I think that's healthy. And I, I think, uh, um, I think there's been many examples before this uh, of people doing that. Ang Lee is a great example of someone who's made brilliant films featuring Taiwanese characters and brilliant films uh, featuring all other kinds of characters. Great. Alan, well, this has been absolutely amazing. And I, 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 I thank you for your flexibility in doing this over Zoom. So <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, man. Thank you. No, the film is fantastic. So I just really appreciate uh, what you do and your time. So. Thanks again, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Fining.